I hope some of your friends, our mutual friends, have told you that over the years. That you know, I, I admire you so much, not just because you're a, a voice of common sense, but it takes guts these days to be a voice in common sense. I, I think. Suppose, you know, I don't. I don't think of myself as brave because what I really am is a failed lawyer, and my issue is just that if things don't make sense to me then I just want to try to make sense of it and I want people to understand what I mean. And this is the thing. If you are a good black person, you're often told that when it comes to certain race issues, you're supposed to not quite make sense and that you're supposed to deal with a certain kind of word <laughs> magic. I have never felt it. I've always thought I'm black and I would like that to make sense too. And that's why I end up looking brave when really I'm just obsessive. Well. <laughs> Well, what I, what I get so much from listening to you and reading you is that you feel condescended to, which I feel like that, that is... <laughs> Especially <laughs> lately, yeah. Right. And I, I, see, I see that all the time, and I don't know, wonder, I, I do wonder why that's not more in the dialogue we have. It's the strangest thing. Like, you read a book like, and yeah, we're going to have to be specific, White Fragility, which basically says that black people are these hothouse flowers where everybody has to tiptoe around us, and, you know, we're always crying, and we're always angry, and we're just so very, very, very delicate. I don't feel like that person. That book is talking down to me as far as I'm concerned. It, should it really be used should be called Black tables. Fragility, right? Yes, yes. It should be used to keep tables from wobbling. That is the only use for that book. And yet... You, you, you look on Facebook and you have people saying, I'm doing the work and reading this book. And I think to myself, <laughs> they are doing the work of making me into a perfect idiot. Right. And yes, why don't more of my fellow black people feel that way? And it's because... Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast dreams. Uh, oh. <laughs> Definitely gonna punch in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely lost my face. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wh where did the words go? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, All right, here we go. Though, let's just jump in. <laughs> All right. What's good, soldiers, and welcome back, y'all. Happy Wednesday as you listen to this podcast. We are excited to be back on the mic with you for what I think is going to be a very, very interesting episode. So I promise you that um, it's going to be a little bit off the chain. So, uh, yeah, um, Andres, you ready, bro? You good? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, they don't know what's about to hit them. <laughs> you don't even know. You don't nah, even man, know. But no, nah, on a personal level, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm tired actually. Yeah, <laughs> I've been working on a project uh, these last few days, and uh, I've put in a lot of uh, extra hours. You know, I missed a road trip. 
Yeah, man, you, you, you did. I, I missed out on going on a retreat actually too. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I take responsibilities, my fault, a little bit of lack of planning and, and underestimating the work that was, mm. that was necessary. Yeah. So, so just the, the road trip that Andre speaks of is, um, yesterday as we record this uh my daughter and son-in-law had their baby shower for my upcoming grandbaby and so yeah that was that was a really super great time actually we had we, we had a bit of a blast but and andres knows this that my family is a little bit off the chain so just just a little bit <laughs> yes so we had just a really, really great time with my family and, um, you know, seeing my daughter down in, in, in Kansas city. And yeah, it, it was, it was just a fun time, right? Like just a really rich time of connecting and friends and, and yeah, just us being silly and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was kind of a super, kind of a super great time. So yeah, it, that, that's what the, the road trip he's referring to <laughs> is, is, is about. So, so just like Andres and I mentioned in the last episode, we've been, we've been having some conversations offline that we really think are, um, what we think are interesting, right? And, and, and more than a little controversial, quite frankly, but we decided instead of kind of ignoring them and kind of going along with, with the herd and going along with the accepted dogma on the subject that we're going to be talking about today, um, we we decided to go ahead and hop on this mic and get the recording and challenge our listeners with some different perspectives as well. And so, um, yeah, we we might get in trouble for this one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> but before we do that, before we get into trouble, um, let's 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 talk about something that we received in our mailbag. Uh, we got a great question on the Facebook group that we thought we should discuss here. So we're just going to get started with that first. So it's a question about Bible translations. So the, the question is, I recently started listening to your podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I was wondering, what version of the Bible do you read? My first Bible was The Way. I, I laugh when you referenced it in one of the podcasts. I have a renewed interest in Christianity in quotes, I need a new lens. I've been harmed by the word of God. So, well, first of all, I mean, I, I get what this listener's saying, but um, the word of God does not harm. Some leaders' interpretation of the word of God <laughs> has caused a lot of harm. So let's just... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just uh clarify that for for the moment but i i get i get the spirit in which that statement was made though uh now the thing was I, I, i'm not familiar with the way i'm not familiar with the way bible so um the translation that was helpful for me at the beginning was the message by uh eugene uh, peterson who died in 2018 but let's see if this helps out here so there's three types of Bible translations. So there's the word for word, a literal, like the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible. Then there's a thought for thought. 
uh, more dynamic. And that's where the Christian Standard Bible, which is the one that I mostly read, uh, falls into. And then there's idea for idea. So it's a paraphrase, and that's where the message comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, the message was very helpful when the ESV, when the ESV didn't make any sense to me. It was at the beginning, the ESV was a little bit challenging. Yeah. Well, and for those um, of you who are, who are not Bible literate, ESV is the English Standard Version. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so the message was very helpful because it was talking about the idea of what was being said. Okay. Um, but like I said, like I said, um, the one that I read the most is the Christian Standard Bible. Now, uh, the CSB and the ESB starting to sound like a government official. Right. All these, yeah. <laughs> Alphabet soup. <laughs> um, the CSB and the ESB are pretty similar. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible is a little bit easier uh, to read, but I've, I haven't really found too many places where there's like ginormous difference. Yeah. Um, so the thing with, with the Bible, as a lot of people may have noticed, is that it's not an easy book. It's not an easy set of books. You have to read it with your mind, not just your eyes. And right. I didn't, you know, I, well, I didn't make that phrase up, I, but it's true. I mean, you really have to work at it, you know, because there's really three things in the Bible that you have to, there's three questions that you got to answer as you're reading the Bible. You got to ask yourself, what does it say? You got to talk about like, or ask, what does it mean? And then how does this apply to me? But most people start with application rather than context. And that's where we get into a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you read the uh, NASB, right? That's what you, you mentioned. That's the yeah. one that you like. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I like. Yeah, the closest, the closest to word for word as right. I can possibly get. And right. yeah, and, and and I even use like the kind of an interlinear, which I'll explain in a second. Yeah, and and the reason you want to get to that, so basically, you want to get really. I mean, I, although I said I, I read CSB, but I I trust that it's pretty close to. Uh, ESB. <laughs> I'll try to get it from all these <laughs> alphabet soups. But the reason you want to get to a word for word is because we don't have, most of us don't have knowledge in ancient Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. Okay. And we don't know a lot of historical context for what is said. I mean, the Bible wasn't meant for our eyes, it was meant for a different audience. Okay. So you want to get away as quickly as possible from the thought for thought. You can use it maybe as a reference for maybe a little bit of guidance, but you want to get to word for word as, as quickly, um, as quickly as possible. Classic example. And even then, even then, and I'll finish with this, you can get a really good translation. And then you read passages like Proverbs 22, six, train a child, that train a child passage. Train up a child or train a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they won't depart from it. Right. It's not what you think it means. Right. You just leave it at that. <laughs> right. I think we've talked about that too in the podcast, but even when, even when you read it and you get it and, and what does it say? And you ask yourself, what does this mean? That's the, what does it mean? Sometimes can get you into trouble. So right. you, have, you have to work at reading the Bible. It's not, it's not your typical book. So I'll just leave it there. What do you think? Yeah. So um, I think a couple of my quick thoughts are, you know, yeah, when people read the Bible, like we're going to it 
for some sort of understanding and meaning, right? Right. Um, So this thing is a couple of thousand years old and older, right? So the New Testament being roughly about 2,000 years old um, and the Old Testament being significantly older than that, right? Um, So we come to it for some kind of guidance or wisdom or whatever from the ancients that we can use and apply today. And so that's in a generic sense, in a specifically kind of faith sense, you know, whether you're, um, you know, Jewish or Christian or Muslim or, you know, kind of the three monotheistic faiths that come from the Bible. Um, if you if you, if you're looking in that in that situation, yeah, that that is um, specifically you're looking for for rules for living, right? Right. Right. So rules for living book. and use yeah. And, and and rules were kind of following God, right? So mm-hmm. so the and the problem, the problem, so whether one agrees with the Bible or not, so just or believes in it or is an atheist or whatever, the problem is that when people read the Bible, they almost automatically run to interpretation. Yep. Right? Yep. So so the 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 first two mistakes they make is what do I think it mean? It means, and what does it mean for me? So the second thing is application. Right. So, so so they run to their interpretation, interpretation, yeah. and then the application. And the interpretation is almost always the one that makes us feel good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so think about this as a the rules of literature, right? When you're reading the rules of literature, or or um, when you're reading literature. Reading any written word, you have to follow a certain set of rules. And the first right. thing you read when you or that you do when you're following those rules is first off, what the heck is the person who's writing it trying to say? Mm-hmm. And when you're and when you're reading something ancient, you got to think about what are, what is the person who's writing this trying to say to the people who are their contemporaries? Right. Yeah, right. Take you out of the picture. Take you out of the picture. Right. You are not so, the audience. Right. So now. Like, you know, I, I answered my thing in the Facebook comments. For those of you, obviously, who, who didn't see those comments, there, there are about 19 or 20 different popular um, Bible translations that go, like Andre said, that go from, from um, word for word to thought for thought all the way over. Think of it on a continuum. Word for word on one end and paraphrase on the other end, and, and, and we'll put a graphic in the show notes that illustrates this, that also has all the different, tra- like the major translations and where they fall on that spectrum. And so I said a minute ago that, you know, I, I like to use an, an interlinear Bible, a Bible. So an interlinear Bible is, is like it sounds, interlinear, between the lines, right? And so, and so you have, um, there'll be English, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. There, there are four mm-hmm. simultaneous translations. And so if you want to know if you're reading the Old Testament, then here's the Hebrew and here's the word that they translated to, to mean whatever word in Hebrew. Or if you're reading um, the words of Jesus, Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so um, so the, the red letters are in Aramaic. So the sayings of Jesus will, be, will, will then be in Aramaic with the corresponding English translation and the same for, for, um, you know, for the Koine Greek. So um, all that to say, right, I like 
as little interpretation and exposition as possible because that's the closest you can get to the actual thing. And so that's why like, you know, the 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 New American Standard Bible is the closest you can get in the English language basically to the transliteration of of <laughs> of um of what's there. And and sometimes the analogies and, and the illustrations are thick. So and we get all that. But we just wanted to give a little bit of a kind of a again answer this kind of mailbag question. So because here's here's the thing when you get to interpretation, you mess things up in all these interpretive leaps. So, yep. you know, and, I mean, and, and as somebody who learned English, I can totally appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it's not, I mean, <clears throat> there are times when you don't want to translate word for word because it doesn't make sense. So that's where, when you translate it into English from something else, you know, uh, my Polish friend and I talk about this all the time. They're, they're just certain words that don't translate well. And for example, Proverbs 22, there are a few words in there that don't translate, that don't translate well into what the original Hebrew was trying to say. Oh yeah. And we could do a whole episode on just what's not translated well, you know? Right. And and neither one of us are like died in the world deep, deep, deep Bible scholars. However, oh, no. you know, I have studied a, a, a pretty significant amount and, you know, some seminary kind of stuff and whatnot. So, um, but there are, you know, like I said, like, you know, the, avoid the word for word, or I'm sorry, avoid the paraphrase translations, because if you are reading those paraphrases, you're automatically reading somebody's opinion. Right. And that's what does the harm. Yeah. So it's the opinion that does the harm. Right. Um, right. And even if somebody is reading the more literal text and then jumping in with their opinion and their their interpretation that does the harm for a thing. So and we could go on and on and on about the ways and this listener, you know, has some 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 very clear ways that some that that the that the teacher or the practitioner did the harm. It wasn't the word of God, it was the actual, you know, it was the people, it was the the interlocutor. <laughs> Mm-hmm. who who created mm-hmm. the problem. So so like I said my preference is to steer clear of any of those translations that are more paraphrased because they're inherently problematic when they're interpretive. And so um yeah, so that's that's enough about that. But but that's what we wanted to kind of talk about just because you know we get those kind of questions and 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 more because you know we're not a we are a social justice, faith-minded podcast. And as we've said before, we actually haven't said this in a long time. Our social location is as Christians, you know? Um, right. And so, so that's why we kind of, you know, brought that out. So, um, but I do, and we touched on it a little bit in the last episode, but I do want to say a little bit about these sound effects that we've been kind of popping in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so just one of the things that, I personally always envisioned for the podcast was something really more multimedia and, you know, kind of and whatnot. So, you know, and like, and like I've said before, my, my, my brain works like free association, you know? And so if you've, if you see any of those shows like Ally McBeal or Scrubs or um, I don't know what, what other shows where people have these little like, or how I met your mother, where people have these little like 
side dialogues in their head and, and, and little mental images and that kind of stuff. My brain, unfortunately, works like that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where there are connections and references that just pop up in my mind all the time. And so, and so sometimes, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just random, random that way. But um, in the old way we were, we were recording, adding all that stuff on the back end was really freaking time consuming, <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't spontaneous. And at that point it was much more produced, right. And it wasn't, it wasn't spontaneous. So, you know, I mentioned also, and you know, once upon a time my life as a musician, I, I did live sound and did audio engineering and did recording. And, you know, I was a studio guy for a long time. And so, um, and, and, and I like tech, I'm a huge tech nerd. So I'm always looking for what, what new tech nerdiness can I give myself into, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, so got some new gear that has a bunch of things that, that really kind of help my, my weird free associative brain. And so without geeking out on that stuff too much, that's where kind of some of the sounds are coming in from. And so, you know, I have a whole bunch of sounds that are loaded in um, that we just kind of do, do weird stuff with. Right. And I might even find some more, but, I, but you know, we don't want to make it where we get too much off of, off of the point of the show, but it's also just kind of some fun ear candy here and there every now and then. Yeah. Since we talk too much about, well, we're not talk too much, but talk a lot about, Hitty stuff you know we we, we got to break the tension a little bit just a little bit just a little bit some of the sounds right you know. right so just anyway. a little bit so so here it comes y'all <laughs> right so as you know when you clicked on this podcast and listen to it that the title of this episode and what this is and so we have hinted at this topic more than a few times since the beginning of the podcast and with the clip that we just showed in the or that we just played in the beginning it's a clip of uh john mcwater who's an academic and a linguist being interviewed by bill maher on the show politically incorrect and you know they're talking about um uh, Black Fragility that was written a couple of years ago, 2018 or so, by um, Robin D'Angelo. And so, you know, we're going to steer right into the skid. We're, you know, we're going to just put our head in the lion's mouth and we're going to grab the third rail with both hands, insert whatever <laughs> analogy you want to. We're going to nominate ourselves for the removal of our black cards. <laughs> you know, oh, so... So I never thought we'd get to this point. <laughs> we not are two going, years ago, not two years or, ago. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> not two years ago. So, I don't think we've ever would have talked about this. In this episode, we're going to talk about black fragility and, we, and we're going to explain what we mean by black fragility and give some examples of what we think are, um, our black fragility. Yeah. Well, and, and so then, and there is actually, I'll say this, there is an episode or there's a book episode, whatever, but there's a book, um, uh, by an author named, uh, I think Adrian Carter by that same title. Now his book isn't talking about what we're talking about. So, um, oh, okay. his book is really talking about more, what are some of the things that are happening in the black community that are dysfunctions that we can address and deal mm -hmm. with and kind of help and help the black community grow. Right. So his book is like that. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about. So like we mentioned before about the Robin Angelo book, white fragility talks about the, the, the distress that, that so-called people have been racialized white, the distress that people have when talking about race. And so right. what we're talking about for black fragility is we're talking about the distress that black people get when we talk about 
or avoid talking about certain things uh, around avoidance. the topic of race and the right. avoidance and and the and some of the fragility responses that happened there. So that's right. why we posted and or that's that's why we listed um, the John McWhorter clip because you know he talks about some some of that piece about you know what there are things that just don't make sense and we act like they do just to for whatever the reason is right so yeah we're gonna talk about the things that don't make sense or at least a few of them right so as as i've mentioned uh, part of our contribution to these rough and tumble podcast streets is nuance which is the subtle difference in meaning so today's topic is complex and yeah it could be controversial um but we should be thinking about it carefully. We should be thinking about this topic carefully. Mm-hmm. We should think about it uh, and not just take it for for take it for granted. Um, this this is one of those episodes in which uh, you want both of your ears on. Yes. Well, and we said before, right? That like you just said that you know that 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 we can't see how we would have gotten here from a couple of years ago. But on the other hand. I can totally see it, right? Because for me, for example, well, yeah, there's there's been some language that I've been trying to clarify in my own mind for a few years, for right. actually for quite a long time. And yeah, the first one, the first one that I had to do business with was the whole idea that black folks can't be racist. Oh, I remember that, right? And I and 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 I shared a little bit about that on a couple of different podcast episodes, right? right. Um, and because the prevailing wisdom in, I'm going to call them anti-racist circles, the prevailing wisdom is that um, black folks can't be racist. And that comes from the prevailing wisdom in, you know, kind of some of the, 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 the teaching that talks about the, the different, the four different types of racism, you know, and I mentioned that before in, on previous podcasts also. So I just have a big, 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 big problem with that. You know, because all of us have the propensity to express racist ideas and racialized ideas, then all of us have the propensity to express racist ideas and be racist. Now, the way that the current discourse goes is it says, well, black folks can't be racist because black folks don't have any power. Now, I think that's some major (laughs) (laughs) bullshit. I just, I just do. Not expecting that. <laughs> because we have we have relative power, right? Now we have more power than we ever have in this country in the history since the history of the country. And we, you know, and and so that power is very relative, right? We have we have power in how our dollars speak, and I believe we squander that sometimes, but that's more for more for that later, you know. But but we have power, you know, some those of us who are in leadership positions have relative power vis-a-vis people that work under us and subordinates and that kind of thing. There there are plenty of places where we have power and privilege. And so um, the line goes that, well, if you can't make the rules of society, then you don't have any power. Well, if that's the line, if that's the line, most people in this society don't have any power because they don't make the rules of society. And that's the real conversation. Right. That needs to be had. Right. So podcast for another day. Yes. So y'all buckle up, buckle up. 
here's why, soldiers, here's why we just had to go there, right? Um, again, as we, you know, when, when having any conversations about the state of black America, we black people in general, you know, me and my kinsmen in the flesh, right? Um, people of the diaspora or, you know, and, and even specific issues that affect black people specifically, I feel so much like the, the, this conversation has been taken up kind of by three different types of people, right? So mm. one, they've been taken up by other black folks who want to protect this kind of perpetual culture of immaturity and mm-hmm. some and, 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 you know, blackness um, as being or as the struggle rather being some essential state of being. Right, kind of the keep it real crowd, you know, um, right. Right. and so to the group of like progressive folks who fall all over themselves to show deference to black folks um, and their and, and, and our claims, even when some of them just don't make good logical and numerical and statistical sense. You know, I was just on a school board meeting tonight where somebody was talking about some of that stuff, and I won't get into that. But you know, um, somebody cited like the the police shooting statistics, and you know, we 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 sometimes play very fast and loose with some of those statistics. And the third group of folks, I think, who who kind of um, hijack the conversation are. Those of us black folks who are invested in the idea that the United States is somehow irredeemable and has nothing at all good or great about it. You know, and again, that's just crap. And so, you know, and so hold on, I'm, I'm almost, <laughs> okay, I'm, so, okay, but, okay, but, go ahead, go ahead. Because, okay, so because I'll, I'll put it this way. We live in a country, you know, and, and as somebody who's, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm trained as a historian and a political scientist, right? So I spend a lot of time and money reading old stuff, <laughs> you know? And so we live in an amazing country that is great and immensely flawed, <laughs> right? Both things are true, right? Um, especially in the area of social problems and our blessing. And I've said before, kind of privately to people in conversations, our blessing is also our curse. And so, you know, we like our, our diversity is the thing that causes all the problems because the more diverse a society is, the more social problems that it has. And by Mm -hmm. the way, um, the more financial or, 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 um, yeah, the more financial inequality it has. So anyway, that's my. That's the beginning of my. Rant. <laughs> that's just. <laughs> you know, I'm just imagining if we were in a room with other black people, what what the looks would be. Um, <laughs> Here's what they would say about us. <laughs> oh, I say it. I say it again. You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. That's what they would say about us. <laughs> Didn't no, make those crazy. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, yeah, we've been on this. We have been on this journey for, for a while. I mean, if you, if you now go back and listen to the, some of the episodes, you can start hearing that we've been trying to get to this point to figure this out. Because, yeah, it's that in some circles. It's not cool to say 
America is a good country. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like it's an unpopular opinion just because of its history. Like you said, both things can be true. We can hold both truths mm-hmm. at the same time. It's, it's, it's actually possible. Right. So, uh, all right. So, so and, and, and here's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm a, like you, I've said before, I'm a patriot. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, no, I am. I love, <laughs> I love your, because de- you taught me about that, the, the actual definition. If you go to the dictionary and look at the definition of the word patriot. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm a patriot in, in, in the true sense of the word, in, mm-hmm. in the sense of the word of the people in the 1770s, in the 1750s and 60s who were saying, hey, there's some stuff here that King George is doing that ain't right. Right. And we're going to bam on his door to get him to act right. And ultimately, he ain't act right. And so, <laughs> and so... We said in this in this little known document called the Declaration of Independence, we listed all of the things that he didn't act right for and that we repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly begged him to stop doing. And right. we did that and he said, Okay, <laughs> that's how you're gonna act. Then he kind of went at us and we opened up a whole can of whoop ass on him. <laughs> right. Right. So here's the thing. Going going back to that to to what I said about the Fourth of July, it's interesting because our first episode was talking about black people should celebrate the Fourth of July. Remember that? Yes. I mean that's yes. That's how we started this Uh thing, and and look at us now. Hey, right. (laughs) That that's exactly right. And and I said then, and I still say now, it's complicated. It's very complicated. But the thing is, what I what I was saying is that. It's a controversy. Let's say, like, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. I want to make sure any of our friends, our black friends, who on the Fourth of July will say something good about America, or yeah, or just yeah, we just say anything good. They'll mm-hmm. just not say anything, right? You know what I mean? Just right. ignore it as if, uh, as if July Fourth is nothing. You know, the whole thing. You know, what's the Fourth of July to the slave and that kind of stuff. But right. that brings up another point. And we started talking about this last week or the last episode. We're stuck in language from 1960. We're stuck in language from the 1800s. We're stuck right. in language. We don't have new language. I mean, that's what I'm thankful about the work that's been happening now that I think what's starting to be created is the language of the stuff that we have in our heads, mm-hmm. the stuff that doesn't make sense. And some people are sitting down and doing the hard work, the heavy lifting. Yep. Black people doing the heavy lifting yep. of what does this mean now in 2022? Right. I understand what happened in the 50s. I understand what happened in the 60s, but we're in 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, what was happening then doesn't explain Oprah. <laughs> Right. So, or, so how do we explain Oprah? Or Jay-Z or Robert Johnson or, or Jay-Z. any of those kind of people. You know, how, how do we explain that? Yeah. You know, and, and the dynamic that they have to stay true to the streets or whatever that means. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yes. But, to, but here, so obviously I'm Puerto Rican and, and with that, See, and this is what we talk about language. There's stuff that 
I just learned that didn't make sense. And I just took it as fact from conversations that you, that I, that I overhear, mm-hmm. you know, but since we come from a tradition of the story that we're told is we have black and we have white and we have, um, um, well, not native American, Indian, Boricua, Borican, yeah. yeah, you know, in our blood. So we're all, we're all this mix. So one is not better than the other and that kind of stuff. And that's what we've accepted, you know, but that's not the story here. The stories here is way different. Cause like we mentioned in the previous episode, if, if black is not a thing, then you have to land on American. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and there's, and, and the complexity that it's America for the descendants of slavery makes that pill a little bit harder to swallow. Right. And, and, and I feel like, okay, I feel like if you can't, like if you hate America so much, right now, okay. Now there are folks, there are folks who, 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 who hate America and there are folks who, who, who will critique America because they love it. Right. Like James Baldwin talks about, right. Right. Now, If you are someone who's listening to this podcast and you are ideologically conservative, let me say this to you. The people who you think hate America just because they're critiquing it and they're saying it's not great, I think you kind of re- need to recognize that you need to fall back because it's just not that. That's just not the case. Right. 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 That's the patriot that you're talking about. Bingo. That's the Bingo. patriotism. And those of you who are saying right now, that people who are critiquing America are un-American, you would be on the side of King George in 1776. Right. You would be. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, for, but I'm not going to get into all that, but <laughs> fall back, fall back. That's not what I'm saying. People who critique the, the country because they love it and want to see this, um, this, this amazing experiment called the United States of America improve and get better, those are the patriots. Now, right. If you think America is irredeemable, you know, and now, now I'm talking to my other progressive people now. If you think America is completely irredeemable, go somewhere else. <laughs> go somewhere else. <laughs> I never thought that you would say, love it or leave it. Love it or leave it, right? <laughs> I mean, be, be, okay, here's why. If you work somewhere, right? And your coworkers are always bitching about their job. What do you tell them? Find another job. Find another job. Like you can opt out. You can't opt out. You can't. It's okay. If you think that this country is irredeemable, go find a better one. I dare you. <laughs> and yeah. You know? So, so I'm not saying it's perfect. Right. And it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be. The, the whole criticism is, the whole patriot criticism, it's just about you folks wrote these things on a piece of paper. We just want you to keep your word. Right. You either mean that or you don't mean that. Right. You're and the one who said it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my fault you wrote all men are created right. equal. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I, just, I just want my slice of pie. Right. Okay. So here's one last thing though. Um, where, where, where this whole conversation, this whole episode comes from is how do we treat 
How do we treat this conversation as honest as we possibly can? As possible. Yeah. And the conversation being the, this conversation about race. Right. Right. That, that there's on the one side, uh, the book, a well-known book, Why Fragility by Dr. Robin DiAngelo, which made the rounds quite a few years ago. And which, in which when it came out, we were fans of, you know, we watched yeah. her live, you know? Yeah. Um, so she argued, uh, let me make a point here on what, okay. I cannot say the man's last name correctly. Otherwise we might get an explicit rating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Mick Warter. Uh, yeah. Okay. And him and some folks in the same camp that he runs with, they criticize the book, but I don't, we may criticize the book, but they're, they're putting onto that book stuff that I don't think is in the book. Thank you. That's exactly. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't it, at it, all agree with his criticism of, of the book. Yeah. I, neither do I, I've heard it on one of different interviews and like, wait a minute, that's not what the book is saying. First not of all, all, not at all. The book is, the book is not for us. Yeah. We're not the, we're not the target audience of the book. Yeah. It's racialized white people. Right. Okay. Right. And the value and of that book is that it gives. And there is value. It is, it is. And so she gives the playbook for how, for how so-called white people, racialized white folks, um, how they respond in the presence of racial distress. That's right. what she does. And, yeah, and, and, and I think that's tremendously valuable. And I have seen that more time. Like I've, I've seen that happen, play out in workshops and stuff literally thousands and thousands of times. Right. And that, and that's precisely it. You know, you've, you've seen it cause you've done the work. And she's been doing the work for decades. She just, she just saw something and decided to write it down and systematized and, it. Right? Hey, wait, what right. is this? <laughs> mm -hmm. And and just the bullet points on on what she's talking about. She's saying that that white people, um, they see themselves as faceless or colorblind. Okay, they become indignant or offended. They accuse people of playing the quote race card. They try to change the subject. They default to individualism and put themselves on the good side of a good, bad side binary. And then there's the infamous white women's tears, which is when mostly white women cry in difficult situations to, uh, to get themselves out of it and for everybody to comfort them. And then the energy is moved their way rather than staying on the subject at hand. So, okay, <laughs> let me just ask you this. because. <laughs> In a way, I need to bow out and out of this conversation because when, when we're saying the word black, we're talking about African Americans. African Americans, African Americans. Yeah. Or even even more specific, a new recent term that I've come to see online is descendants of slavery, the American descendants of slavery. Okay. I haven't seen that online and <laughs> we don't need any more new dang terms. Come on. Like this so is, anyway, yeah, this is no, word but that, salad. But that came as a result of that debate about reparations, and we'll get to. Oh, we'll get. To yeah, that. that's where that comes from. Yeah. Anyway, it's about money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, as a as a black Puerto Rican, okay, <laughs> uh, this conversation is a little bit different. All right, and since we have you, Abdul Abdullah. As the, the representative, representative of all black of folks everywhere. All black people. <laughs> so why are black people fragile? Mm. 
I have thought a whole lot about that question, actually. And, and I don't quite frankly have a lot of, I'll call them cogent answers for, for, for why. Um, the thing I do think, though, and folks are going to call me colonized for this. <laughs> oh, <know>? wow. <laughs> like, and call me colonized for this, but 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 there there is there there's a certain like okay it, it goes back to those three types of folks that I mentioned earlier, and the 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 one like kind of the whole keeping it real crowd right, and um I think we are fragile because we can't get past. And I've been guilty of this myself too. So, so it's 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 the we. It's not it's not them people. It's we. We can't get past what happened to us during slavery, up to let's say the Jim Crow era. Like like we simply can't get past it because you know people say, well, like well, well the the immigrant argument. Well, listen, the immigrants came here and they kind of moved up, right? Or even immigrants who are from the diaspora, African immigrants, for instance, who come and say, well, wait a minute, what the heck? You know, like, like just work hard and work up, right? And even you said, like, man, why is it that African-American folks always talk about race all the time? You know what I mean? That was, that was my observation <laughs> when I first came. Like, y'all talk about race a, a lot. lot. Right. So, so I, think, I think we are fragile, specifically because we can't get over that. Now, I will say that we the, the reason why we can't get over it is legitimate. And the legitimate reason is it's a profound injustice of what yeah. happened to yeah. the indigenous people in this country and what happened to the enslaved people who came who were who were brought here against their will. That's a profound injustice. Mhm. And and there's no there's not a single solitary way around that, right? You can't excuse it away. You can't whatever. There's there's there are no words that can communicate the weight of how of how of how evil. messed up that and how evil that was. None at all. Mm-hmm. So I get where it comes from, but then there's also there's also the next step that says okay. We can't give it up because we are de- we're still demanding justice. There's something in the psyche of a person that demands justice for an egregious wrong. And by the way, that's a spiritual principle as well, mm-hmm. right? So, so we can't. And so the good side of this is we can't give it up because we really haven't seen the justice. But I don't think we've actually really ever even clarified what that would even look like. I don't know that we have. You know, so what do we say? We want we want to be able to have equal personhood at the ballot box. We got that. The people are trying to take it away, but we got that. <laughs> you know, we want <laughs> we want equal economic opportunity. We're still not completely there, but we have more access than we ever ever did. Now, I think some of the reason why we're not there is all is 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 us. It's looking in the mirror and, and the whole noble victim thing. But we have access. We can still get into college. 
We can still get into trade schools. We can still work and work and work and achieve. And there's some of that still there, right? But it's not equal. It's not at parity. Um, you know, for me, even as a highly educated, very decent income, black middle class, upper middle class professional, I still, I still get paid on average $20,000 a year less than somebody with, you know, than, than, a, than a so-called white person with my education and experience or less. That's still a thing. But I choose not to focus on that because when I'm working, I'm producing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not focusing yeah. on then I listen to me because I'm black. I'm 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 producing. Right. So again, I don't really have a really cogent reason for why we're fragile, but but I do have a deep sense that we are, and I do have a deep sense that it's because we can't let slavery go. Yeah, it's so that's what we talked about earlier. This is not easy either, because you're absolutely right. It was a injustice done on a massive scale that I mean, you can't even, I I mean, I cannot even imagine slavery. I mean, I can put it in my head, somewhat intellectually think about it. Right. But to live it, I can't even begin to like, how do you do that? How do you do that? Right. You know, so yes. But, you know, I hate that there's a but to that. But there is. There is. You know, you can't do anything about that. I mean, folks from 100 years ago would look at us and go like, what are you talking about? Right. Was Maya Angelou herself says in, 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 in her poem, I Rise, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. You know, so let's start doing something with that. You know, I don't, I, some of this work that's happening that we started, we've been talking about, you know, it's new. And I feel like I haven't gotten a, a grasp of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where, like I said le- the last time, like even the word the word sellout comes out. Yeah. You know, when thinking about some of the stuff, you know, like the invitation is to not think about race. You know, when something happens, it's like, was that because I, I was black? And the invitation is, take that out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Like, what? What do you, what do you yeah. mean take that out of the equation? So, okay, <laughs> no. here's here's one. About a month ago, I got stopped. And really? I don't, I don't know if I, okay, I was going to say, I don't know if I mentioned this on no. the podcast, but, but you don't know about it either. Okay, yeah. No. A month ago, I got stopped by, by, the, by, by the police, by state trooper. You know hmm. what I got stopped? I was speeding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was on the freeway doing 85 miles an hour, and I got stopped for freaking speeding. <laughs> right? Right. It wasn't because right. I'm black. It was because not only was I breaking the law, other folks were too. They were going more than 70 miles an hour, but mm-hmm. I was going more than the flow of traffic. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, and yeah, so. places to be and people to meet. Right. I got pulled over on the interstate. The trooper came up to me, you know, 
it was a it, it was a very interesting interaction, and I took note of it because hmm. there was not a single solitary weird thing that happened. Mm. I pulled my car over. He comes and he says, "Do you know why I stopped you?" Yeah, I think so. I was speeding. You know, I had my hands on ten and two. You know, that's a little thing. Yeah, it's a little thing. That's a little thing. (laughs) I had my hands on ten and two, and the guy asked me, and maybe this is a racial thing. He asked me, you know, because he at that point had looked at my license plate and everything before he came to the car. But um, hey, where do you work? You know, told him my respectable place of business and my respectable job title because he can. I think he can see that in his thing. (laughs) You know. and, you know, he wrote me, you know, came back, wrote me a ticket. And he said, basically, because you cooperated and because I was going 80, like 84, 85 miles an hour, because you cooperated, I bumped it down to five over. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, thanks, officer. Got my ticket, drove on off and paid my bill. Right. You know? Now, it, that interaction probably happens more times. Countless times. Than not. It, than it, it was a routine opposite. traffic stop, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I didn't go off the chain, you know. I didn't do, I wasn't, he wasn't disrespectful to me, and I wasn't disrespectful to him. And I think at mm-hmm. one point somebody says something, and one of us, and then we smiled, you know. <laughs> but it was, it, there was nothing at all abnormal. Now, for me personally, because that wasn't the first time I've been stopped. <laughs> you know, right. but for me personally, if I were to count all the times I've been stopped by by law enforcement for speeding or traffic or those kind of things um, over my driving lifetime, you know, maybe five or ten times, right? Personally, only two of them have been negative. Mm. Okay, so two, two out of ten, and maybe and maybe more, but but I'll do the math on that. But only two of them have been negative, and the ones that were negative were really freaking bad. Mm. Those two were horrible. But I say that entire story just to say that you can call me colonized and 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 I'm going to get to think, you know, the oh well he's saying all that because he got a white wife and a good job and a this and that and whatever, whatever. No, I'm saying this because it's intelligent. Right? <laughs> so how much you think how much you think? Um, man, this is even even just talking about it is a little bit difficult. I'm I'll be perfectly honest mm-hmm. because the word that I'm going to use is a word that I don't think a year ago I would have used, and the word is victim. Are we? I include. I'll put myself in this part of the conversation. Um, how much victim mentality is? in both of our communities and does someone benefit from that because it just doesn't make any sense like you talk about we have all our all friends who are immigrants they don't have this conversation Uh uh-huh they don't even spend a minute on it like you said they're just like we just need to work harder you know what i mean yep they don't you know and it's a way i mean like we said the word you know we talk about systemic racism and we talk about all that you know yeah and let's and let's for this exercise pretend that it's true okay like okay so that's the game mm-hmm. you know like i said before there's an oprah right there's a jordan 
right there's a, you know there's there we're living in the best time like online mm-hmm. if you want to start your own business nothing nothing no one stops you from starting a business today Bingo. there's nothing Nobody stopping you now there may be a thing slowing you. you down there may right. be impediments and obstacles but no one's actively stopping you right so you know yeah this is going to be some heavily edited episode, but tell you what, let's do some liner notes real quick. All right, let's cool our brains down with uh, our beloved liner notes segment. Uh, so this is where we take the opportunity to talk about anything that's given us life, which means anything that just gives us energy, just uplifts us and just makes us feel good. <laughs> Having all so, the good feels. Yes, yes. Sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> All right, Abdul. So, what's your liner note? You already know what it is. This is going to be quick. Uh, Actually, I don't. Okay. Well, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. Oh, my liner note is just spending time with my your daughter and her baby shower, and you know, and her little baby bump, and you know, and just and and my and my sister and brother in law, you know, who threw her a massive shindig, you know, and and yeah, it, it was just fantastic. So. That was cool. See my mom. Dr. Dr. David, who I still can't pronounce his last name. Strother. (laughs) Who's been on the podcast before, my brother-in-law, who's a psychotherapist. You know, um, also, you know, also a U.S. Marine, also owns his own business, also black, and nobody's holding him back. Right. And he still, like me, believes in the presence of systemic racism. But again, this liner note, so we can keep positive. (laughs) (laughs) We're back. So, but... (laughs) Trauma, trauma. I tell you what, that that honestly, that that's my line. Like, it was just a fun time, and yeah. it, it was kind of a quick day trip, so we didn't get to spend a lot of time that we wanted to. But that was kind of cool. And the other one that I have that's not family related <laughs> is the new PJ Morton record. Oh, I didn't know he came out with one. PJ Morton dropped the new album, and so PJ. Uh, so for those of you who don't know PJ Morton, PJ Morton used to be the keyboard player for Maroon Five, which is still really weird to me. I I don't get that at all. Yeah. He's like he's like this like Neil Soul. And he does just, not fit. He just you just don't think he goes well with a pop band. No, right? and his so his whole sensibility. That's the power of Adam Levine, though. It really is. And so this th- this new record that just dropped last week, this new record is very reminiscent of the classic Stevie Wonder period. But but really. a lot of his stuff actually is, you know. And he has a song, a, a single on there. Like uh, I think it's a single now. With Stevie Wonder and Nas. Oh wow! Yes, sir. So anyway, that that um, that new PJ Morton album is just is just fire because I mean he's he's a very talented writer. He's he's a very he's a very interesting lyricist, and I feel like so much of R and B these days lacks musical interestingness. <laughs> and so and so it's it's a really good album. It's it's pretty yeah. dope. All right, my liner note is a song you sent me a re- uh, uh, a flashback from the past. It's uh the song "Sweet Freedom" by Michael McDonald oh, from the movie "Running Scared," featuring Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was listening to uh, um, uh, Spotify the other day, and I was listening just like dance music. I I grew up listening dance music too. And there was a, a remix done by a, a different artist, but it was the song Sweet Freedom. 
Really? But it kept it kept the spirit of the song. It was upbeat, of course, since it was a uh-huh. a, a dance song. But it kept the spirit spirit of the song, and then it which reminded me of the song itself, and how good of a song that is. So I listened it to a few times, and that's it. That's my liner note. I love that song, it's, dude. It's a I great love song. That song. It's. <laughs> I can hear it in my um, head now. Right. See, and that's the thing. Because. <laughs> Yeah, because they kept that melody, and then it's so—it's like an earworm to uh-huh. it. So I just—I just kept thinking of the Michael McDonald song, and Michael McDonald's, of course, is Anita Baker pitch down. <laughs> we gotta put that. Did we, did we put that in the thing already before in an old episode? We have. <laughs> it's a callback. It really is a callback. <laughs> oh, all right, good deal. <laughs> Oh man, that was funny. All right, so soldiers, let's jump in to to some of what I call like the 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 black fragility playbook, and we can do this tag team style. I'll do one, you do one, and we kind of do it that way. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Yeah, do your thing. No, I don't want to get off on a rant because you know I, I'll, I'll go. So okay, <laughs> so um, so here are some soldiers. Here's some specific ways that I think black people are fragile. Here's the first one that I have. Um, so the, how we look at speech and the whole, the whole talking white thing, right? Mm. So, so again, going back to the keeping a real crowd that I said, that I mentioned before, what, what value or what virtue is there in, I'm going to call it broken English that perpetuates low expectations and low achievement. Now, it doesn't necessarily do that. I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit to make a point. However, because if I'm, you know, in my informal spaces, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> just getting it in too, right? You know, but, but just as a, I think we're fragile in that whole thing of sounding like you know how to put a couple of words together makes you white. Right. I think right. it's just crap. Right. Yeah. What it makes you is understanding of the English language and understanding right. of context. And there are certain contexts that one must enter into that one must communicate a certain way. And that's not that's not being that's not being white. Now, the whole code switch thing is also kind of a real thing. You know, so no, I, it is so a real thing. I don't want to yeah dis like discount that right and so and so but we all but do it we, we do we do so but i think that's one way one way that we're that, that that we're fragile like if someone speaks a certain way then all of a sudden they're not really black <laughs> miss me with that i and another way is and it's related to to this but first of all all these things again which is the frustrating thing we say that we want to eliminate white supremacy, but we get stuck in white supremacy because we make white the standard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, why are you sounding white? As if what? You know what I mean? So related to that then is money. I think there's pressure on black people to make money and still keep it real. You know what I mean? That you still got to act a certain way. I don't and at even, all. And, nope. and even... And know what? Keep going. Sorry, keep going. I interrupted you. That, and, and I don't know why I'm thinking of Magic Johnson. All right, he's got lots of money and whatnot. But it's like 
he's an anomaly or anyone who has money is an anomaly. Like you're not supposed to do that. Like there's no expectation for us mm -hmm. to be that level of success. Like that's kept for other people, like the Oprah's of the world, the Tyler Perry's of the world. They're, they're different. They're built different. They got something different in them. Right. They're the exception to the rule. We're not supposed to get that. And here are the things, or here's the thing. So are all billionaires. They're built different. They are the exception to the rule. Right. But for some reason, it's like, I don't know, like you're supposed to not, you're supposed to make a little money, but it's not, you're not supposed to make that much money. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Here's one okay. for you. Um, as I was preparing for this episode and it's, and it has to do with just Christianity itself. So I've, I've mentioned on the pot on this podcast that one of the greatest miracles, if not the greatest miracle is that the enslaved African converted to Christianity that assumes what, that they were not Christians <laughs> and that they didn't have Christianity exposed to them before, <laughs> them, right? before colonization, <laughs> which is not true. Not at all. You know what I mean? Not even a so little we, bit. So if we talk about the origins of the black church and we talk about which, which also talks about black culture, black culture, it's centered around slavery and finding out that eh, we got to put brakes on that. Some of the first Christians in the Bible were North African. Exactly. So here, so I've, I found this thing. Okay. Now check this out that you might, you might know this, but I didn't. Okay. What so I have, I have to revisit my thinking here. All right. Historians, of course, historians, John Thornton and Linda Haywood and others have convinced the writer of this, this piece that among the 20 plus Africans who were illegally transported to the Virginia colony included Christians. Okay. 1619. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So these were Africans who were illegally transported. Okay. So the evidence includes a 1619 letter written by a local Roman Catholic Bishop, Manuel Batista Suarez. I have to imagine that he's from a South American country with a name like that. Maybe not. Anyway, no, sorry. Spanish. Yes. I know. yes. Yeah. So anyway, so the Bishop said, uh, he expressed his outrage, outrage that 4,000 plus African Christians from Ndongo, hope I'm saying that right, in the West Central Africa, in West Central Africa, had been captured by the slave traders. Mm -hmm. So it may not be revolutionary for you, but my idea of Christianity for descendants of slaves is like the missionaries that went to the plant, and which, which happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Yeah. But there were African Christians here mm. before slavery. Yes. I, <laughs> well, and, and because, because there were, okay. And, and here's a, here's a, and this is related to another one of the things I think that, that we're fragile on, right? That all of us are um, descendants of Egyptian pharaohs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on now, really? So, <laughs> so, but here's the thing. There were, so the, the, the Egyptian Coptic church was founded around in the first century, like 
AD 40, 42, 45, somewhere around there, like 42 to 45 or so years after Jesus. Okay. So the Egyptian church, they had Egyptian Christians that may be a result of one of like the Apostle Paul's um, uh, missionary journeys or somebody else, right? But that was first century. And by the 16th century, don't you think Christianity would have spread from Egypt to West Africa? I hope mm-hmm. you do, because it, well, did. it did. It did. <laughs> right, it did. Here's, an, here's a quick, another thing, and I'm sorry, it's, I'm excited about this because it's, it's just, and this is what we're talking about, it's just breaking down these narratives you know right. what I mean? of what we've been told is one way and one thing and one way only. Right. Okay. Right. I, I got one for you. Go ahead. So a lot of the things that I, that, that where I think we're fragile at has to have to do with, I'm going to call it, I'm, I'm going to put it in the bucket of, of, of black pathology. Right. So, um, one of the things that, that we're pathological about in, in popular culture, right? So in black pop culture, because, okay, you said a minute ago um, about, about um, um, what was it? About people needing to be, you know, be a certain way or like being pressured to still kind of basically be hood when they're rich. Be hood, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so the reason why I don't agree with that and this is part of our a part of our i think pathology and arguably fragility is the owners of multinational corporations who are mostly white obviously right mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but the owners of multinational corporations are businesses and they sell what's hot and if we stop giving it to them they'll stop selling it message right so so if we stop if we stop demeaning ourselves with the with the you know i'm not a big fan of reality tv you know whether it's the real world or real housewives of atlanta or whatever i hate all those shows but mm-hmm. you know but if we if we stop for our part for our part we we only control us if we if we stop with our part perpetuating the least common denominator mm-hmm. you know that that's always bugged me that's always bugged me you know um if you if you think about the the young black people in the era of SNCC and core, the John Lewis's of the world and the, and the Diane Nash's of the world and the, you know, the young CT Vivians of the world or even, you know, right. So mm-hmm. if you think about where, where, and, and this isn't a rant about like respectability politics kind of thing, I'm just not, but, but if you think about where black culture was in the fifties and the sixties, and you think about where black culture is now, I have to think that a lot of us who were alive at that point would be ashamed at those of us who are now perpetuating and purveying culture. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's like we have this dichotomy where there's like, like we're like, we lift up black excellence and all that. And, and that's fantastic. But we, but we still do it in this, talented 10th kind of a kind of a way you know like there's there's so black excellence is still is still somewhat exceptional when it's absolutely not <laughs> what do you just explain a little bit the talented 10th 
Sorry. So the idea is that uh, Booker T. Washington and the, and the idea of, of, of the talented 10th, basically that the, the, the talented 10% of the black population will be the one that w- will be the ones that kind of help us um, um, rise, basically, is, is what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So um, and so, yeah, so that that's what I mean. And and, you know, I'm, I'm, I may have that wrong. It's not Booker T. It's W.E.B. So. The the talented tenth is a W. E. B. Du Bois idea, but that that's what he meant. Where there's ten percent of the black population that will help us rise in 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 achievement and academics and social status and all this other kind of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. and he got a lot of flack for that um, because he you know he got a lot of flack for being what do you call it um, for being elitist basically. And mm-hmm. so and so we have black excellence, but we also the part that I hate and that we're fragile in. The base parts of our culture are what get what seem to be getting the most shine, yeah. and I just don't like that. And I mm-hmm. think that we're fragile in that we keep selling it, and the suburbs keeps buying it. Right. Mm. And so yeah. it would stop being sold if we put our foot down and said, "No, no, freeze, we're done." Yeah, but I think we're I think we're probably saying the same the same thing. But I was talking about the money part. In the sense of that we see ourselves in a certain way, and it's always in trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So everything that we do just comes from trauma, and it has to be traumatic. It has to be, uh, it, it, just, it just can't be freely given. It's like, if, 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 and if it is, there's, there's something wrong with it. Right. Like we have, we have this, this fear of the world and it's come you know comes from the trauma but we can't trust the world but we also we say that we want the world we say that we want that world but we don't trust that world and we just want to stay in our bubble and we want to stay in the struggle and we want to stay struggling because struggling is what we're supposed to be doing and that doesn't make any sense but those stories are not told just one more thing because i because the the thing that going back to this this thing about the African Christians in 1619. They were talking about the the nation of Congo, right? So in Congo, I mean, they had <laughs> they had their own cathedrals, they had churches, they had uh, uh, Christian schools, they 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 had their Catholic priests, uh, they had uh, 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 the, their their colleges. Uh, uh, anything like anyone in in in, in Portugal. Um, there, there were African enrolls and in, in students there, and they were they were graduating. Uh, I mean, right? It was such a developed country, sixteen nineteen. But you don't hear that. You don't hear it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. I do. So we're, it's like it's like it serves a purpose to stay stuck in the struggle because the language of struggle is what we understand. Right. Well, at least. Yeah, to some extent. So, well, and, 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 you know, so listeners, I want to be clear about what I'm talking about. Okay. So, and, and what I mean specifically is that we have, I'll put it this way, we have fragility around, I'm going to call it making the lowest common denominator be the popular re- representation for our entire culture and people of who we that's, are. That's the standard. Yep. And whenever, racialized white folks mention it it's racist to call it out 
whenever we mention it, it's being sellout, like you said, Andres. You know, mm-hmm. like you're accused of being a sellout, or you're being bougie, or you're being colonized. And right. then we're fragile around perpetuating this culture of poverty and low expectation as, yeah. like I said before, racially determinative and basically essentialist. So I got a huge problem with that. So and 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 I just I resent making that caricature the dominant representation of who we are as a people. And I resent making everything about the struggle when you try not to make it that way. You just want to just be, you know? And so we have to do our part in not making everything about the struggle. And so, but again, I can hear the counter argument right now. There are probably some, some, some of my kinsmen in the flesh who turned this off a long time ago, (laughs) you know? So, but I can hear, I can hear the argument right now. Like, like, you know, if you look at the people who are selling the base parts of our culture, well, you can't expect somebody who never had anything to, to, to turn that money down or, you know, whatever, right? Um, yeah, so I, I'm just, those things, those things bother me. And and to some extent, and this is a straw man, but if somebody comes with that argument, you really just kind of prove my point about conflating, <laughs> you know, low class with being black. Right. Right. And that's the whole point here. That's the, that's and, the one right and there. And that's the new language. You know, it's probably should begin to close this out. Yeah. You know, it's, is, yeah, let's get out of the language of struggle. Let's stop equating ourselves with struggle while demanding other folks, white people, right? You know, to not point out the struggle. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's getting old. Yeah. Well, and, and so, okay, here's, here's, here's my last one. And this is, this is all, all kind of tied to this. So like you think about the, 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 um, you know, how language has changed over time. You think about the idea of the, like the hood, right? So the, the, the hood, the hood has now become synonymous with the ghetto. And when I was growing up, it, it wasn't. Like, like the hood was, was the neighborhood, or for you, probably like you know, been in New York, you know, El, El Barrio, right? Right. So, so the neighborhood just meant where we all were, right? Then the ghetto was something different. You know what I'm saying? So, oh yeah, yeah. But but we've kind of like that that idea has changed in my well in our in our lifetime, you know. Now and overall in my neighborhood was a place of relative safety. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's some things that kind of went down, obviously, but right. <laughs> you know, but right. it was a place of, 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 of relative safety in my neighborhood, right? There was pretty, it was pretty low violent crime rate. If you weren't mixed up in stuff, right? Right. If, you know, if Which, you got mixed up in the game, uh, and something happened, charged to the game, right? right. <laughs> you know, but, right. So yes, so so there's there's all of that, and you know, I mean, yeah, it, it we had the but we had the presence of elders, we had the presence of you know more a more diverse community. You had people in the area who were educated and you know whatever had maybe a little bit of means, and you had folks who didn't have anything and were on public assistance living right next to, right next door to each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that was a neighborhood, but now we call it 
it's degenerated to like the 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 trap. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and oh, so But language matters. Oh my gosh. I mean, but look at that that word, trap. Bingo. I mean, as if you can't get out. Yes. That whole spirit is in that whole spirit of that word trap is yeah. in our spirit. Yeah. And that you're not supposed to make it. Mm-hmm. That you're the exception. Yeah. If you do, but not the rule. There's yes. no expectation. There's no demanding of academic excellence. Right. And that's that's a whole podcast in itself. It is. And and the values of the trap have gobbled up the values of the neighborhood. Right. Right. In 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 contemporary popular discourse. So just yeah, this is this was just a, you know a, a a bit of a rant. It and, was, and you know, but but you know something about that though. What's that it it really does signify, or I don't think signifies the right word, <laughs> <laughs> or or sheds a light. Way down in the jungle, D dolomite. Yeah, but it puts a light on, at the very least for me, how new this is in the conversation, that. I'm still kind of working it out as I go. Yes. Because this is not a conversation, quote, for mixed company. Right. This is not an easy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This would have been an interesting podcast with other folks, (laughs) except us two. Maybe maybe we'll revisit that with a few of our friends. Oh, my God. Bring a couple of brothers on. Hey, hey, dog. Hey. (laughs) You know, um, but uh, it's just. it's just, yeah, it's, it's new. That's what it is. Well, it's, it's new, new that we're talking about it in the light. Now, uh, yeah. so, so and, and, and it's not new in the sense that a lot of folks who've thought about this, and well, a, a, lot of, a lot of black folks, you know, who've thought about this and talked talk about this kind of throughout the ages, right? And they put it in things like, you know, literature or, you know, like, so like the Baldwins of the world or the, like that kind of stuff. They also put it in things like hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, the Jay Z 444 album. Some of the mm-hmm. same themes are in that 444 yeah. album. Or yeah. I told y'all before about this um, interview with Van Jones that he did with 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 Busta Rhymes and them Busta talking Rhymes, about yeah. you know kind of just how the progression of manhood and all that kind of stuff. So it's. It's a new, it is a new conversation that a lot of us are having in different areas because there are things that we have in our head and our heart that we have to work out out loud a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because, there, because there's some things that you're like, wait a minute, when, like when you think about it, it's like, yo, this, this don't really make sense right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yes, so, so this, this was just a bit of a, I guess, a riff and a rant. Um, right. But yep. so, so here's, the, here's the thing though, Andre, so. As you as you think about and as we wrap this up, what do you think the takeaway should be for our listeners? You know, I, I knew this question was coming up, right? Because it's the one that we always say. The takeaway, honestly, is don't be afraid to question what you've been taught. Now, it took us took this podcast almost two years to say this. And we, like we said, we sprinkled in some, some of that stuff here and there, but the main takeaway from me is 
don't be afraid to go down this this path of questioning how much my skin color has dictated my action one and how much time i spend trying to prove that i'm deserving deserving of my black card right that's what i think about you know because i was thinking when i was getting prepared it's like because i thought about the black card and i was like well why not just burn the black card wait what i don't know dog i <laughs> hey hey bro <laughs> but you know i but, mean it's but, it's yes I, I i take your point that's my that's the takeaway it's like okay if i'm going down this road you know and i don't know if, still where i'm going to land with this but the main takeaway for all for everybody who's listening everybody 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 is take the time to think about this thing called race and just breathe a little bit and just question all those assumptions that you've had and how much for our we'll say black for lack of a better word is how much has this melanin influenced behavior and how much you've had to act black just for the sake of acting black Mm, like just performing basically how much time have you spent performing black performing blackness wow you know what i mean yep that's good so so just for me um the takeaway that i have i think is this um as i can articulate it right now is that when i think of the people that I look up to, I'm presented with an idea that is really clear in my head that has absolutely nothing and everything to do with the conversation about race. And that's the following statement. People who achieve are not victims. They're not. So when I think about the folks who have achieved or the people that I look up to, who have achieved, you know, and there are people like Puffy, you know, Sean uh, Diddy Combs, right? So like like music, right? So you, so I think the people in music like Puffy and Jay Z and even Nod to some extent, who's like an angel investor for all kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, or I think about literary figures, or I think about business folks and entrepreneurs, you know, um, filmmakers, and you know whatever people who there there are some of us who who, who have changed our struggle into beautiful art. But then, but but even even with that, even with that, people who achieve are not people who let other people hold them back or who make excuses for why they're not achieving because they're too busy trying to go do. And so I think the takeaway for me is that. And so as as I think about my beloved culture, I'm going to call it black culture right now, even though we're trying to get rid of the racist and stuff, my beloved black culture. We have, we have made a culture out of being overcomers, but let's remove the overcome part. We've also made a culture out of achieving. Now, what would that achievement look like if we go to the next level? Whatever that is, I don't know. But whatever that next level is, what would that look like? So the takeaway point to me, again, I'll say it again, is, is achievers are not victims. Achievers don't think of themselves as victims. And I'll leave you with this illustration that I heard um, I heard a long time ago from the filmmaker Melvin Van Peebles. And it was talking about um, describing a bumblebee. And, and, and he said, 
basically that when you look at a bumblebee, there's nothing at all about a bumblebee that is aerodynamic. It's not supposed to fly on paper, but the bumblebee does not know that. So it flies anyway because it's not concerned with what it looks like and why it can't fly. It just flies. So, soldiers, if you are my people, my kinsmen in the flesh, my admonition to you because I love you is just go fly. And if you're not in your so-called racialized white or anybody else, I'm telling you the exact same thing. Just go fly. That's all I got. Well, that does it for us for now. As always, if you like the show and the content, if you are encouraged or challenged by it, please like, subscribe, share, drop us a review, and don't be afraid to do all three. Uh, we haven't had any fresh reviews in a while, so drop us a review, y'all. And you can find you can find me on Instagram at that dude Dula. You can find Andres at where? At Andre. Well, on Twitter, Andres on the bar Amador. And if you have any questions about anything we cover on the show, if you have topics you want us to discuss, if you have questions, if you if you listen to these last two episodes and you're like, what exactly y'all doing right now? <laughs> you know, right. please reach out to us. Hit us up on Facebook and our Facebook groups at um, Facebook groups is Christian Soldier, S-O-U-L-J-A-H. You can email us at hello at ChristianSoldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. And until next time, y'all. Y'all keep the faith. Peace. Bye. Christmas Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christmas Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Paul Point. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.